This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. We've now labeled it as CX, but forever we've been losing customers for reasons that are about CX. It's just now we have jargon to wrap around it. That's the voice of Jean Bliss. She's the president of Customer Bliss and the godmother of the customer experience movement. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hi there, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, last episode we spoke to Jean Bliss. If you haven't listened to it, pause right now and go back and check it out. It is pure fire. Like, it is a must listen. It is fantastic. But on today's very special episode, we've got your questions. We put the call out a couple of weeks ago for people to submit their own listener questions. And so, we're going to dedicate an entire episode to Gene Bliss answering questions from the Customer Experience Leaders fans. So, our first question is from Robert Saronson, who is a Customer Experience Professional. He's actually a past guest from Customer Experience Leaders. And he'd like to know, how do you reinvent yourself in relation to customer experience? As the field changes, you know, there's AI and data-driven CX analytics and agile service design, all these things. How do you reinvent yourself? Well, you know, what's interesting, it's less about reinventing for me, I think, and more about first starting with clarity. What's your purpose in supporting customers' lives? It's about understanding these new things and not making sure they don't become shiny objects and then putting them in context with how you're going to improve the customer's life. There's a great story. You know, Danny Meyer, who is a customer service guru in hospitality and all the world over, says there's two reasons why my people would wear an Apple Watch. One is for the sommelier to know when to top off a glass of wine in the restaurant. And the second is for the valet to know when to pull a car around when someone's paying their check. What's happening is this is less about reinventing and more about going to school on these new things that are emerging and understanding where to put them in context. But if you're looking at these as separate and individual tools, like mobile as a strategy, separate from the journey or the experience, then it will feel like you're reinventing when in fact what's happening is we have to keep on being disciplined and saying, okay, AI is great, but where is it most helpful in the journey versus AI for AI's sake? No, that's great. And actually, um, if I can use one of your quotes in the book, actually, which is high tech without the human connection may make the interaction more efficient, but it's important to know when to blend the humanity of caring into the customer experience. So, basically, not just tech for whiz-bang tech's sake, but using that to leverage to make these human connections even better. Another listener question is from Michael Young. He leads customer service delivery at Mercer Insurance. This is an excellent question. We've been talking about CX now for a number of years relative to its importance for long-term health of companies. And it's a bit like a debate about global warming. Is there actually any evidence out there where companies have ignored a cultural focus on CX who have fallen behind or is it still way too early to tell? Well, CX, by the way, has always been here. We're just calling it CX now. You know, what's on the inside shows up on the outside. For many, many years, there is quantifiable knowledge and information that can be proven that if you don't treat your employees well, your customer experience is going to suffer. Your employees are going to leave and your customers are going to leave in droves because you're not honoring them. That is CX. There are many, many statements and quantifiable evidence that 
if you don't solve the reasons why your customer's calling your call center, you're going to lose customers if you don't take care of those people. So we've now labeled it as CX, but forever we've been losing customers for reasons that are about CX. It's just now we have jargon to wrap around it. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite places of evidence to point to out of interest? Is it in certain academic literature or have you found certain studies that really are, you know, quite watertight on this topic? I mean, yes, there's all kinds of studies that point to it. But for me, it's more about the proof that we've been able to show inside of organizations. Mm. You know, it's quantifiable and you can connect back customer loss. B2B is very easy. You know, how many, for example, inside of a SaaS company, we know that onboarding is critical, but yet people aren't following up on the behavior of their customers inside of the product to actually see how many really completed the onboarding process. And so now you've got moments of vulnerability and value erosion that have always existed. Now we just call them a moment of truth. These things have always existed. I mean, I was doing touchpoint mapping and connecting the dots between customer lifetime value and the journey in 1984 at Land's End. And I'm not being cynical here. It's just that we keep renaming it. But instead of doing the work, we're naming it. We're, 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 coming. <laughs> we're doing the work. We're doing the work. Everybody's doing the work. But we've got so many silver bullets. Why I wrote the book was to say, just start on these 32 things. Get going. Pick one. Pick two. Yep. Pick three. Let's go. Come on now. You can do it. Let's go. Let's go pick one or two. We need to earn the right to keep doing the work, but we need to get beyond the mechanics of the work and actually connect leaders back to why are we in business in the first place. The next question is from Kevin Huang, who is uh, a business analyst at Telstra, who's doing some great CX here in Australia at the moment. And This is a great question, actually. Kevin asks, it's often said that every member of an organization has a responsibility to take ownership of the customer experience. However, when everyone says that they own the customer, no one takes accountability for the end-to-end experience. And so, for organizations without a chief customer officer and where maybe marketing or product managers or user experience or sales or all of them are all staking claim on voice of the customer, how should these organizations manage that challenge? Yes, 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 yes. So, thank you. That's a great question. First of all, it drives me crazy when people come out and say, I own the customer. Even a chief customer officer does not own the customer. So, if you're in an organization and you do not have a chief customer officer, which many don't, we need to try to unite a couple leaders to come together. The first thing you need to do is herd the cats on the number of surveys you have going out because Everybody and their brother is probably doing a different version of it in a very well-intended way because they want to know and hear and learn. And in the meantime, you're driving your customers crazy and your surveys may have turned into kitchen sink surveys. You know what I mean by that? No. What's the... Well, it's got everything in there. Yeah. So, product development's like, I want to add three questions and then, you know, everybody's adding. Not that I think surveys are the whole thing, um, but it can start there. Pick an area of the organization that really gets it and a leader that really gets it. That's often what we do. We find, you know, when I was at Microsoft, it was one of the country managers. And so we focused there. We worked through the process. We got things done. 
we proved it, we iterated, right? In technology parlance, you've got to create a beta, you've got to prove it, and then you can expand. And so one of the things that we find is that while the silos may not unite, a leader or a country leader can unite groups of people together where separate silos in the organization may not be able to. But you may also find that there are some enlightened people who are willing to work together and pull together. Nobody owns the customer. And I think a lot of that comes back to the organization as humans of the corporate machine. We have been taught to succeed and flourish in that pipe that we live in. And that silo pipe that we live in actually puts us at odds inadvertently with others who we need to work together with. And so it's really being brave enough to give up a little so that you can come together. A few more listener questions. Uh, this one's from Ray Gillenwater. What is the root cause of poor customer experience in most organizations? And if there is a generic solution, what would it be? Well, <laughs> you, you, first of all, customer experience is every company is delivering customer experiences. Many root causes exist. Again, silos are a huge root cause. Again, not on purpose. Everybody's doing their work separately. Leaders not engaged in the effort is an issue. People working on what they think is important. The hardest companies to improve are the ones that are enthusiasts of their own product. Motorcycle companies, they're all riding the motorcycle. They're all a consumer of their product, but yet, as an example, you need to get out from behind. So again, making a decision about what's important based on what you think versus what customers are telling you. And I really think it's about shifting and also starting with the customer's perspective versus your internal agenda. I want to play you a couple of clips here. The first one is from Dennis Snow. He's like 20-year veteran from Walt Disney World. I know Dennis. Yeah. So, Dennis has been on our show before and he had a really interesting question. So, I'll play that for you now. Hi, Gene. Dennis Snow here. I hope you're doing well. One of the comments that I hear all the time is that it's hard to find good people, you know, employees who are wired to give great service. So what are some recommendations that you would have for finding and then hiring people uh, who A, care about the customer experience and B, have the talent to deliver a great customer experience? Well, so, you know, what's interesting is finding good people can be a reason stated for not great experience, but the companies who really focus on it, again, at Land's End, we called it finding people with light behind their eyes. And you need to put people in their natural habitat so you can observe them as human beings outside of the prepared statement, the homework they might have done. One of my favorite examples of this is the CEO of IHOP. I'm not sure if she still does it, but she would take people to an IHOP restaurant, future executives. Do you know why? Why? She wanted to see how they treat the wait people. When you go to Zappos in an interview, you know, they're good friends of mine there. A lovely person picks you up, man or a woman, probably in sneaks and jeans and a sweatshirt. And the hiring team always wants to know how did the candidate treat the van driver? Southwest Airlines, they do role playing where they push you out of your comfort zone to be able to watch your human interactions to things. There's a great company called 1-800-Headsets, I think, and they put their customer service people through a customer service tryout for half a day, watching them, listening to them, seeing how they react when the pressure is up. So we need to 
yes, understand people's capabilities, but hire first for the aptitude, hire first for their humanness and find and put them in environments where you could see their tendency. How do they react to something? Do they raise their voice when things go wrong? And you can do this. There are companies around the world to help you do this. And there are companies around the world who are doing this. That's great. I love those practical tips. There's an ice cream store called Amy's Ice Cream in Houston, by the way, that was in my I Love You More Than My Dog book. And she would give these teenagers, you know, because she wanted animated people throwing ice cream. They thought they were the Seattle flying fish with ice cream. You can't ask a teenager legally, are you a little nuts, right? So she would... (laughs) She would give them a white paper bag and they'd have to come back turning it into something creative, which was their test. Right. Okay. All right. Next question is from Eric Rhodes. He heads up CX at Twitter. Hi, my name is Eric Rhodes. I'm a customer experience program manager at Twitter. And my question is, how have you used human-centered design and design thinking in your customer experience practice? So, hi, Eric. I actually know Eric. I think he emailed me today. (laughs) Customer experience design is simply about making the starting point of how you evaluate, how you rethink, how you redesign. And it's part of everything we do now. You know, when we actually bring leaders in to define the stages of the experience, sometimes I'll say to people, tell me the stages of your journey. Well, guess what they are? It's their sales funnel. Or If it's not their sales funnel, the names of the journey stages are things they want to get from customers, convert, sell, you know, whereas we bring customers in and we say, what are you trying to accomplish? How do you feel at the end of this? What do you want to say that you could have achieved? Tell me a quote you want the company to operationalize that you can enable. And that's the flip that's the beginning. Now, there's a whole methodology around this, Eric, that is human-centered design and customer-driven design. But if the starting point with leaders in the organization doesn't first start with the fact that we're here isn't to improve this life, then just like accounting and other things, it's a great discipline and you're going to have some great workout sessions and some fantastic post-it notes and listen to customers, but you've got to, at the end of the day, be able to reorient the operation of the business to wire humanity into it. Awesome. Next one is from Victoria Dew. I will play this one. Hi, Jean. Hi, guys. This is Victoria Dew. I'm calling from Boston, Massachusetts, USA. And my question is this, Jean. Hey, knowing your interest in the connection between employee experience and customer experience, I wondered if you had any tips for um, HR, comms, marketing, brand folk for how to easily and accessibly demonstrate the ROI of employee experience to executives, um, how to really tell that story about branding from the inside out in a way that's compelling uh, for how it delivers business value. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, that's a great question. The first thing I would say is you guys have to link arms. Customer experience. There are very few roles in the organization that see across the organization, maybe the CTO or the CIO. And then you've got somebody who's leading customer experience. Even the CEO doesn't because everything's presented to him or her by silo frequently. What's on the inside shows up on the outside. And what we're seeing in the ROI is when you are flipping the experience and they're in the book, there's stories, there's a LinkedIn study and a merits research study, for example, that says that employees will forego a 20% increase in pay 
if you give them a seat at the table, let them innovate and let them use truly the gifts that they have inside of them and trust them. Many, many of these companies that I talk about in the book actually identify the retention rates or the lack of churn and the value that occurs with these customers. Pale Sudden Service has not lost a general manager for 33 years. A practical tip, and one of the things that we do frequently, again, I'm a big believer in walking employees by stage of the journey. Because if you just say, tell us what you need, tell us what's important about our culture, you're going to get hovercraft answers. Very high level, conceptual things that aren't easy to operationalize or don't sound like the business. If you then instead, by stage of the journey, say to employees, what's getting in your way of delivering value? Where are the stupid or silly rules that customers are constantly debating us about? And you actually start identifying and whack-a-moling those things away. A, people hold a parade in your honor. But B, you're going to get rid of a lot of the things that push employees down and push customers out. Boom. That's fantastic. Amazing. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that, that was one that gets my fire emojis going. My favorite <laughs> quote is, what's on the inside will show up on the outside. That was fantastic. All right. Our next question is from Anna Matasic, and she is a UI UX designer at Green Hat. What are some of the insights that is made an organization or business successful as a result of doing a project such as customer journey mapping? And are you able to share some examples and anecdotes of your successes? Okay. So journey mapping, another wonderful approach if it's done correctly and not too fast. And what happens with journey mapping is people in a room together, maybe it's marketing and HR or whoever, decide on the stages of the journey. And then immediately start mapping all the touch points and then immediately start taking action. But for me, the journey mapping is the whole reason you do it is you need to build a business decision blueprint. Step one, understand your customers' lives and go to school with them and with your employees about what are the goals. And then from those goals, figure out how you then turn that into missions or journey stages. One of my favorite, favorite things is how the Smithsonian Institute, many people know about the Smithsonian in Washington, DC. There's 200 buildings in a national zoo. You know, there's a lot. And so they thought about the different people who might be going to the Smithsonian. And stage one for the Smithsonian now is considers going. I'm a fifth grade teacher and I'm thinking about bringing my kids to the Smithsonian. So if I'm the Smithsonian, what am I going to do for you? I'm going to give you information and little quizzes and activities you can do with your kids. I'm going to help you break it down. I'm going to give you an app. I'm going to convene tourist places and other things so that you can plan your trip. Now, most companies wouldn't even think about that first stage. Instead of find prospects, it's help me plan my trip. Considers going is the first stage before you're even going. The second stage is plan the trip. So now they're getting more detailed. The third is enters a building, experiences a building where they have to bring all the silos together, leaves a building, back home again. What I love about that is that's the life. And what we do is we don't take enough time to define the life that's going to turn our orientation of our business toward improving that life. 
We also then don't engage leaders in changing their talk track to that now being, instead of going around the table in leadership meetings, operations, marketing, sales, now the conversation should be, let's talk about the considers going experience that requires many people. Let's talk about the planning a trip experience. When you shift and the language of leaders starts from the customer's life, employee experience will rise and it will change the culture. Do that. Take a month or two to embed the life before you map. But we don't think about the stages as a critical part. That's building that decision blueprint. That's what will stick. And that's what will drive accountability long after you've mapped 2,000 touch points. All right. Here's uh, Nina Kramer. Hi, this is Nina Kramer. And my question is, how should an organization structure themselves to get the best out of customer feedback? So the first thing about customer feedback is you probably have it coming at a lot of people from many different parts of the organization. Social media presents, you know, call centers present, et cetera. Number one, agree on a common categorization of how you're going to organize the feedback. What happens is you've got a nomenclature in call centers, you've got a different nomenclature in social. So you don't have to make one department the poo bar of all customer feedback, but you do need to unite and align around how you're going to collect it so it rolls up. The other thing is then roll it up by stage of the journey. And agree not to present each separately, even though I know it's lovely and you want to present your stuff separately. Present it by stage of the journey. So it's all about uniting and aligning as the first step. And if you can't unite and align, then you've got bigger problems than what you're going to do with that VOC data. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Our next question is from Janine Pawson, who is a senior CX design lead at NBN Australia. Hi, Jean. Welcome to Australia. I guess my question for you would be, what do you think CX inhibits you from doing? What are the limitations of CX and how can you get beyond those limitations? Let me know what you think. I think the limitations of CX are when people think about CX as a thing. It really is leadership. Leaders choosing how they will and will not grow the business. Geez, that's a great one-liner. It's true, like CX is not a department, right? It's not a functional department. It's not a program. It's not a department. It's leadership. And yes, we have competencies that we can bring to play, but it's not about a work stream of VOC. We're, again, I'm very concerned we're making it turn into accounting or, you know, not that accounting is bad, but disciplines and things that, again, don't get leaders back to the life and understanding why we're in business in the first place. It's back to the human, right? Yeah. It's back to the mum test. Yeah. And this is, uh, th- this is why there's nothing new under the sun. And this is why, you know, CX may be hot because it has some names and some terminologies and some processes and we've evolved how we approach and tackle these problems. But at the core, solving customer problems and doing that in the most frictionless way that delights them and, and they walk away human to human after a connection go, this is really great. I can't wait to, you know, engage with you again. That's really what it's about. That's right. You know, are you magnetic? Are you pulling them back? Do you deliver, val- uh, you know, memory? Are you honoring them? Are you honoring your people? Yes, we have wonderful tools now. We've got AI and different ways of data, but AI is really listening. We've got operational in a SaaS environment. We've got the ability to listen 
to the behavior inside of the product, but it's still part of listening. We make them separate and our zealot tree in tackling these things as their own universe and not uniting them back to be part of a greater whole gets in our way. And CX is becoming a silo and it's not a silo. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Jane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Yes, it was my pleasure. You guys ask great questions and uh, I love what you're doing for our community. So thank you. Well, there you have it, our listener Q&A with Jean Bliss. Amazing episode. I just wanted to take a moment to thank all the Customer Experience Leaders fans who submitted a question and, you know, contributed to making a really great episode. And Jean Bliss really wants to make this a movement. Customer experience and sort of in the vein of her book, Would You Do That to Your Mother? She really wants to build a groundswell of people who are talking about this and actually doing it. And so, Mike, do you want to talk about the really interesting offer that she extended to us? Yeah, so we had a fantastic offer from Jean to to you, our special listener, which is very simple because we love practical takeaways. One, read her book and then reach out to either Adam or I on LinkedIn, either in one of the comments or send us a direct message and we will set up an exclusive small book club. We're thinking sort of the first 10 to 20 people. What we'll then do is we'll jump on a video conference with Jean and you can ask her your questions or how you're thinking about bringing some of this to life and we can have a small little working group based on the book, which is really, really exciting. And so that way we all have a chance to really take action here. That's right, Jean is dedicating an hour of her time to speak directly with the Customer Experience Leaders fans. So, you'll get to speak directly with her via video chat and ask any questions you have to, you know, help you lead customer experience within your organization or within your team. Fantastic. Well, with that, we'll call it a wrap. Speak to you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rated, the market leader in on-the-spot customer feedback. Quite often, the customer feedback that we're looking at is not the most accurate representation of what's happening in your business. Rated solves that problem by capturing customer feedback in the moment that it happens, either in-store with things like iPads or via SMS and a range of other really cool ways. To find out more or to book an appointment with one of their team, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. This episode was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the show. Our music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. I hope you enjoyed this very special bonus episode of Your Questions with Gene Bliss. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next episode. But until then, make sure you go and check out Gene's book. It's called Would You Do That to Your Mother? There's a link in the episode show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time. Hold up. 